Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning to you, whether you're here in person or so many of our church family watching online. Welcome to Christmas at Generations Church. Man, I've said it. I said it earlier if you were already here, but uh, Christmas with our kids on Sundays is one of my favorite Sundays of the year, and uh, they did not disappoint. They did a fantastic job. So uh, I'm just thankful for our G Kids ministry. Pastor Aaron's already thanked the volunteers, but Pastor Aaron and Bethany, they do a great job just leading that team. And then the volunteers and their efforts to just to serve our children. Uh, you know, our G Kids ministry has kind of three phrases that they're guided by. Uh, G Kids, where church is fun, friends are family, and the Bible comes alive. And that's for G Kids, but I think that probably uh, connects to our church at large. It's a sensory experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good, and we want friends to be family. It's about community and togetherness, and really we want to open God's Word and, and, and come alive in our lives. It's, it's something that guides us every single day. And so I'm thankful for our G Kids family. Next week, we're going to dedicate children. And you also have a great opportunity next week to uh, connect to, you're going to hear from uh, a representative from the Cherokee County uh, Family Violence Center about a local missions opportunity for us as a church family and for you, maybe individually as a family, in this Christmas season to serve them and really help some of the families that they're serving and connecting with, uh, just to help them kind of take a next step uh, in this Christmas season and even into the beginning of 2021. So I encourage you to be here with us next week. And then you heard Pastor Aaron mention, our Christmas celebration services, three identical candlelight services, Friday night, December the 18th, for those that may be leaving town or have family events later in the weekend, uh, and then on Sunday morning, the 20th at 9, 15, and 11. And all we're asking you to do just to help us plan is go to our website, g.church, click on the events tab, and just register how many seats you need for those services. It's just a way for us to prepare. Uh, and so you can do that for your children. There's children's uh, classes and services that night, and then for the adults and middle school and high school students here in the worship center. Uh, and then one more just kind of word uh, to help you plan as we move even beyond Christmas. On Sunday, January the 3rd, we kick off our annual 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. And so I encourage you to be thinking about how you're going to participate uh, this year in our prayer and fasting. We encourage everyone to participate on some level. We'll talk about that more as we go through the month of December. But I just wanted to make you aware of when we're starting. So today, we are kicking off our Christmas season uh, and I know some of you, you've been celebrating Christmas for a while, and that's great too. But for us as a church family, celebrating this Christmas season, and to do so, I could go a lot of different places in the Bible. I could go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Every Christmas celebration I had in my family growing up included a reading of Luke chapter 2. Uh, maybe you go to some of the other places in the New Testament, in Jesus' birth, or the announcement of his birth, or maybe some of the other places there in the Gospels. But I want us to go to the Old Testament today, and, and really we're going to spend part of the next two weeks in the the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. So if you got a Bible, I encourage you to go to Isaiah. If you don't know where it is, use the table of contents you paid for. It. It's the whole Bible. It's all yours. So Isaiah chapter nine is where we're going to spend our time today. And Isaiah is one of the major prophets. So when you are looking at the Bible and you look at the Old Testament, there's some books of law and there's some other places where you're seeing the story unfold. And then you have these major prophets and these minor prophets. It doesn't necessarily mean that some are more important than the others. It really indicates how large the book is or the letter is that we have. And so Isaiah is one of those major prophets. And Isaiah was a prophet of God who is speaking the truths of God to the people of that Old Testament time period and that narrative. And in the book of
book of Isaiah, when I say he's a prophet, I mean that he is speaking words of prophecy. And maybe you're familiar with that word and maybe you're not, but a a prophecy is a word that is spoken in advance of something happening. It's not like a guess. It's not just like you trying to figure out what's going to happen. It is being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to speak something, to tell people what is going to happen in the future. And so a word of prophecy, if you hear someone acknowledge, hey, I have a word of prophecy, it's not something to be taken lightly. There's actually a a really great judgment on prophets so that they would speak truth and make sure that they're not misleading people. And so the prophets of the Old Testament were given those words of warning. And we believe that prophecy is still active and alive today and that the Spirit of God can speak through people today to continue to deliver prophecy. And so it's not something to be taken lightly, but it's also not something to be taken for granted. It is one of the ways that God speaks to his people. And so here in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 9, beginning in verse 7, I want to read uh, verses 6 and 7. It says this. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign in David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so what we have here is a word of prophecy given by the prophet Isaiah to the people, the Hebrew people, the children of Israel at that time in history, but also that you and I read to understand that 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet, empowered by the Spirit of God, was proclaiming what was to come. And so in the Old Testament, there are, depending on how you read it, about four dozen very specific prophecies about Jesus and his coming birth. And there's about 350 or 400 prophecies that allude to Jesus or the Messiah in some way. And so when you think about that, it's pretty amazing to think that hundreds and hundreds of years, and some of these even a thousand plus years before the birth of Jesus, we were told, and these people were told, that the Messiah was coming, that God was sending a Savior to the earth. Well, another place that it's interesting for us to recognize, or another thing that's interesting for us to recognize here in the book of Isaiah, is that I told you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. But when the Bible was actually written or the Bible was being compiled, there were no numbers included. Now, the book of numbers was included, but the chapters and verse numbers were not included. These were added later to give all of us a place of reference, a point of reference. If not, for me to be able to read what I just read to you, I would have to take the entire scroll of Isaiah and read all of it to you and then really stop and focus on a portion of that because you would have no way to go to that place because there was no chapter chapter and verse numbers included in the original writing or narration of what was being spoken. And so when the the people were compiling the scriptures for us, they began to add chapter numbers and verse numbers so that I could do what I just did. Hey, turn to chapter 9, verse 6. But if you think of it as one larger story, one larger text, then you recognize that the prophecy in Isaiah 9 is actually an extension of a prophecy that's taking place in Isaiah 7. So it would have just been some text before in the scroll. It would have just gone up a couple of unrolls of the scroll before. So Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says this. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So preceding the prophecy of Isaiah 9 is the prophecy of Isaiah 7, but it's all connected. It says that the Lord will give you a sign. 
In that day and time, as the prophet is speaking, he's helping them to understand that in the midst of all they were walking through, they were trying to figure out, is God real? And is the God that we're called to worship, is he worthy of our worship? And so the prophet says, listen, he's going to give you a sign. He's going to show you that he's real. And here's what's going to happen. The unthinkable is going to happen. A virgin will conceive and she will give birth to a son. And that son's name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, wouldn't you know it, about 700 years later, angels appeared and declared that same kind of truth to that virgin. And this virgin supernaturally conceives, and she's got like a 50-50 shot, right, of it being a boy or it being a girl. And wouldn't you know it, it was a boy. And wouldn't you know it, they named him Emmanuel, God with us. This, this representation that God himself had come to earth. The book of John chapter one tells us that he came and dwelt among us. The message paraphrase says that he put on skin and moved into our neighborhood, which I love that language because God is with us. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And so what we see here is that Isaiah seven is prophesying God with us. And then Isaiah nine continues that thought to say, for unto us, God with us, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son, remember it was going to be a boy, is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. A few months ago, we spent some time prior to the elections talking about the kingdom, kingdom of God, and we said that in this current political season, which is continuing, even here in Georgia, I don't think I've seen an actual non-political commercial in a couple of weeks and so we see still the political climate uh, being stirred up here as so many decisions are still being made. And so in the midst of all of this political climate, we recognize if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what we declared as we read through the scriptures is it says to seek first, not second, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will begin to take care of themselves. And so what we recognize is that we're citizens of the kingdom first, the citizens of the government being on his shoulders and we're citizens of these earthly kingdoms second, and that's where our focus should lie. And then what we just read is that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to split these up. And we're going to spend some time looking at each one of these. But if you've been listening for the last couple of minutes, and I recognize maybe some of you have been checking Facebook, but here's the deal. If you've been listening, you know that my primary language is English. It's really my only language, right? Uh, they say that if, you're, if you speak two languages, you're bilingual. If you speak three languages, you're trilingual. If you speak one language, you're an American. That's what they tell us. I don't know. But I, I primarily, almost exclusively speak English. My son Cooper's sitting right here. He started Spanish a couple of years ago, and he speaks the same Cherokee County English that I speak, except when he's ordering at Taco Bell. Because what happens is he develops a very thick accent when he's saying, I want one Dorito Loco Taco, right? Because that's what happens. And so for all of us, we speak English. Here's what we know about English as we're diagramming sentences. Anyone remember diagramming sentences in English class? When you, and that was my, like my least favorite part about English. And, and some of you, you may have loved that, but you have a line. And so then you begin to separate the different parts of sentences and adjectives and adverbs and nouns and participles and prepositional phrases. And they all go on different lines and dashes and all these kind of crazy things. And you got to remember where it goes and which order and all of these different things. Well, here's what I know, I think, and if this is wrong, someone can correct me. I think most of the time in the English language, the adjective comes before the noun. The adjective usually comes before the noun. So when I say I drive a red car, I am describing that car before I tell you that it's a car. It is red and it's a car. Excuse me. 
And so it's adjective noun, adjective noun. But in Spanish, primarily, not always, but primarily, they go noun and then adjective. They tell you they have a car and then they tell you that it's red. And so it's noun, adjective, noun, adjective. But in English, primarily as I'm reading and understanding these translations of scripture that I have before me, I see that it's adjective, noun, adjective, noun, adjective, noun. And so when I'm looking at what I'm reading here in Isaiah chapter nine, all of my life, I've been reading it as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Adjective, noun, adjective, noun, adjective, noun, adjective, noun here in the NIV translation. So look at this, these first two for this week, wonderful counselor, Mighty God. Adjective noun, adjective noun. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. But if I read this verse, these two verses in the King James version of scripture, the King James English as as it was compiled together, here's what it reads. Isaiah 9, verse 6, look at this. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Did you see it? you catch it? It is not adjective noun because wonderful is capitalized and there's a comma. It is not an adjective of counselor. Now, he is a wonderful counselor. He's actually the perfect counselor because he's God. He's actually an ever-present counselor in our lives. But the writer here, and if you go all the way back to the original text, and and I don't know how many of you can read Greek or read Hebrew, but if you take it all the way back to the original text and you, you study these resources, what you recognize is that each of these words was actually separate nouns or noun phrases, and they were structured in such a way that it was the end of a thought at the end of the word. His name shall be called Wonderful. Now, he's a wonderful counselor, so you don't, you don't lose anything by combining them the way that I have my entire life, but his name shall be called Wonderful. My fear for so many of us is that we've lost the wonder of Jesus. We, we've lost that sense of wonder and awe of who Jesus is and, and all that Jesus means to us and all that Jesus has done for us. Wonderful is defined as inspiring delight and pleasure and admiration. It's extremely good. It's marvelous. The word wonderful is somewhat self-defining in that it means it's full of wonder. But in the midst of the Christmas season, year after year after year after year, with Santa and gifts, and none of those things are wrong, Jesus is just a part of what we celebrate. And then we come to Easter and Jesus and the Easter bunny and chocolate and Reese's eggs. Praise God for those. Jesus is just part of what we remember. We've lost the sense of awe and wonder about Jesus at Christmas. Jesus is full of wonder. And you don't even have to just think about what we're talking about today. You don't just have to think about the fact that he was the fulfillment of potentially hundreds of prophecies, hundreds and thousands of years before his birth. You don't have to think just about the fact that he was born in a manger and grew up in that house just like a normal child, but there was something different and special about him. 
And then at the age of 30, began a public ministry and gathered together these 12 followers that would come and walk with him and hear his teachings and see the miraculous done. And then three years later, he would be crucified on a cross. He would be buried in a tomb. He would resurrect. He would appear to them, and then he would leave to ascend to the Father. And that little ragtag band of 11 that were left after his, 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 him leaving the earth, they would take the gospel message, and all that we know about Christianity would come from them. There's wonder in all of that. That you and I would be forgiven of sins. That we could receive love and grace and mercy that we do not deserve because of the sacrifice of Jesus kneeling in the garden and saying, not my will. I don't want this cup of suffering. I choose not to do this, but not my will be done. Your will be done. And he goes to the cross and he's beaten and bruised for our transgressions, our sins, our iniquities. There's wonder in that. And my fear is that we've lost the sense of wonder about Jesus and Christmas. But not only is he wonderful, name, title, wonderful, he's also a wonderful counselor. When I think about what a counselor actually is and what a counselor actually does, a counselor listens and a counselor helps, and a counselor guides. And we believe in counseling here. If you are seeing a counselor, there's no shame in that. If you need a counselor, you need to go see a counselor. We believe that you need to find someone who is supporting and complementing what God is desiring to do in your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so we encourage you, if you need to talk to someone, to go and find someone that you can talk to so that they can listen to you and they can help you and they can guide you in the process of life. But so many of us are convinced that God just threw us into this chaos of earth and left us to our own devices to figure it out. But that's not at all what he's done. He desires a personal relationship with all of us. And it's not just about salvation. It really is a part of the process. But scripture tells us that how can a young man or a young woman stay pure? By hiding God's word in our heart, that that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It says that if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not in our own understanding, he will guide our paths. He, He listens to us. Scripture tells us that he's close to the brokenhearted. He's closer than a brother. He he promises never to leave us nor forsake us. He is close. He listens. He guides. He helps. He wants to help you as you navigate life because he is a counselor. He's a wonderful, wonderful counselor. And so when I think about that, I'm so thankful that he really did put on skin and move into the neighborhood. But he's not just wonderful. He's not just a counselor, he's also the mighty God. When I read this, in the passage that we just read, he is the, capital T, mighty, lowercase m, adjective, God, capital G, noun. You're like, man, I did not know I signed up for English class today. He is the, not a mighty God, not one of the gods that you could choose to worship or serve, The singular, mighty, adjective, might, great, powerful strength. God, capital G. The Old Testament commandments tell us that we should have no other gods before him. That we should not make idols and 
other images that we bow to worship and we give our affection, our attention, and our heart and our resources to because he alone is worthy. We just sang it. And so he is the mighty God. But we're not just talking about God, we're talking about Jesus. We're we're recognizing that the gift of God to the earth was Jesus, God with skin on, the human manifestation of God. And he's mighty. And I recognize in this year of 2020, perhaps, perhaps in all of the things that have gone on, perhaps it's caused you to question the might and the strength and the power of God. If God really is mighty, then why is all this happening? If God really is mighty, then why has this happened to me? I need the might and strength and power of God to be demonstrated, and I just don't see it. When we read through the Bible, the Old Testament narratives, you don't have to get very far into the story. You can see the floods and the destruction of the earth to punish sin in the days of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. You can see the plagues of Egypt in the days of Moses in the book of Exodus, You can see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as God, again, was punishing sin. And you might look at that and go, well, I mean, yeah, I guess that's it. But I'm telling you, the might and power of God is about his demonstration to show us that he is just and holy and righteous. And he has the power and he will, again, punish sin on the earth. And so right now, it's not about God not being mighty. It is actually about God being patient. God has shown us that he will judge the earth, but he's not judging the earth yet. And he is allowing his bride, the church, sons and daughters of God, men and women of God who are followers of Jesus Christ, to give to the earth the love of God, to show the earth grace and mercy, to point them to Jesus so that they too can receive salvation before God chooses no longer to withhold his judgment out of his patience and great love because he desires that none would perish. Pastor Aaron read it just a few minutes ago. He quoted it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. He desires that none would perish. He sent Jesus to the earth in human form, this God in the flesh, 100% man, 100% God, uniquely blended together, my pastor taught me. And so now what we see is that God in his patience is allowing the church to be the hope of the world, to point people to Jesus. And what better time than Christmas? My fear is for some of us, we've gotten so wrapped up in the narratives of earth that we have stopped proclaiming the narrative of heaven. That there's so many things that we've gotten so upset about and allowed for those things to distort the story that we're sharing and the way that we're exhibiting love and the way that we're exhibiting grace. And there is a way to do both. You can speak the truth, but you speak the truth in love. And so I believe for all of us, we recognize the power and the might of God. And we recognize that it is God who fulfilled these prophecies. When Jesus came to the earth, he said in John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. He's pointing out the fact that he is God. And God is mighty. Christmas, to me, is this amazing, beautiful picture because it demonstrates the wonder and the beauty and the closeness and the power of God. 
And here's what I know. The fulfillment of the prophecy was actually the beginning of his presence. The fulfillment of the prophecy was the beginning of his presence. And I think for all of us today, I think for every single one of us, if we recognize that the fulfillment of this prophecy was the beginning of his presence, then it allows us to celebrate Christmas in a little different way. It allows us to recognize that Christmas and Jesus is wonderful, full of wonder and awe, full of beauty, something to delight in. Jesus is a counselor, a friend, a listener, a guide. He's close. But Jesus is the mighty God, and he must punish sin, and that day is coming, and so it is on us now to declare the love and grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus available to every person on the earth. That is the story of Christmas. And so often it gets lost. It gets lost in all the other stuff. And my hope for you and my hope for me and my family in this season is that we push back all of the other things which are awesome. We love it. We have traditions. We do them every year but we pull back some of those traditions to make sure that we don't miss Jesus in Christmas. We don't want to miss Jesus in Christmas. I'm going to ask you right where you're at, just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Even those that are watching online today, unless you're driving a car, I'm going to ask you just to to bow your head and close your eyes as well. And maybe today you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've never, I've never asked him to forgive my sins and be the Lord of my life. Or maybe I have, but it was a long time ago, and I know I'm not living in relationship with him, and I've done my very best to try to walk away from him. But we believe that God saves, he forgives, he loves. And today, I would love to offer the opportunity to respond to him. If that's you today and you say, hey, I'm a sinner in need of a savior and in this Christmas season, I don't wanna miss this moment. Would you just lift your hand right there? We wanna pray for you. You can put it right back down. If you're watching online today, maybe drop that in the chat. Maybe you just lift your hand. God sees that response. Maybe today you would say, you know, Jeremy, for me, it's not about salvation. I just want to get that sense again of wonder. I wanna remember that Jesus is wonderful. And in this Christmas season, I I just want to walk around with a sense of wonder about Jesus and about Christmas. If that's you, would you just respond to that? Maybe lift your hand today. Drop that in the chat if you're watching online. God, we love you today and we thank you for days like today. Our kids leading us in worship and declaring that you're the king. And so God, we thank you for G Kids and we thank you for Generations Church, a church of generations from youngest to oldest family's legacy of faith because faith is intended to be passed on from one generation to the next. And God, in this church, there are three and four generations in some families of faith. In other families, they are the first generation of faith. They're starting a new story for their family for generations to come. And so God, we celebrate that. And God, I pray now for those who have made that initial decision today to follow you. God, would you forgive their sins and lead their lives as they've acknowledged their need for you. We celebrate with heaven with the decisions that are being made as you change their, literally change their eternity right now. God, we thank you for that. God, now I pray for every person that responded just to say, Lord, help us to regain that sense of wonder, that sense of awe and delight in who you are. God, I thank you that you are wonderful. 
I thank you that you are our counselor. You listen, you guide, you help us. We're not in this on our own. And God, you are the mighty God. And God, as you remain patient with holding your judgment in the present day, would you allow us to tell the story of your love and your grace to those that need to hear it? In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.